Hey all, before we begin the show, I wanted to share a quick programming note. We made sure to split this episode up into chapters. If your podcast player supports chapter markers, you'll find those displayed with your podcast as you're playing. So if you find yourself needing to jump back or skip forward to a different topic, it should be pretty easy. That's all I needed to share, so let's get started. Welcome to Growth. Episode number 10 with special guest from Outsource School, Nathan Hirsch. So Jonathan has never hired a VA, and we were talking about that before we started to record, and he says he has trust issues. So 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 Jonathan, walk us through that because I want to I want to hear your view on that and then have Nathan jump in with his perspective because he's got like a ton of experience, obviously, in doing so. <laughs> So one of the, one of the biggest pet fee peeves for me historically with any kind of uh, virtual assistant in any any space any capacity has been how do I know I can trust that this person is doing their best work for me specifically you know obviously there is a bit of you know they're they're on whatever platform you found them on to do tasks and make money, right? Rinse and repeat. That's that that's kind of the nature of, of the system. And to an extent I understand that it's it's not the same as hiring an employee. But from my perspective, if I was going to bring somebody on who was going to deal in potentially um, not really sensitive business tasks, but so anything business related that critical, yeah, that's the word I'm looking for. Uh, critical business tasks that how do I how do I know how can I reassure myself that their action the the money that I'm giving them it's going to turn into like quality results? Yeah, I mean, my counter argument to that would be any hire, like whether they're sitting right next to you, there's always a chance that they do something stupid or jeopardize your business in some way, or that they don't give you their A game, or they're just in it for the money. I would argue that that VAs in general, I hire a lot from the Philippines. They care a lot more about making sure that they did a good job, that they're providing for their family, that they have a good long-term opportunity. And what we do is we focus on what we call our BARF method, which is kind of a, a funny acronym. But if you get them to buy in, which is the B, showing appreciation, building relationships, and create a family inside your business, combine that with a good bonus and raise program, you're going to really motivate them. That's an opportunity that they can't even get in their in their home country. I mean, the average job there is a call center or, or some job that pays a minimum wage of $12 a day. So Buying in is telling them the the why behind the business, the why of that they're doing the why they're doing the task, the long term vision, what you're trying to build. Like right now, with outsource school, we we're going through the same thing that we preach. We're hiring our own VAs, we're training them to do all these things, and we're having a culture meeting every other week where we talk about, hey, it's important you bring your own ideas, your own feedback. We're telling them, hey, like this is where we're trying to build outsource school. This is the goal. This is how we're helping people. We're giving them access to the courses and to our Facebook group. They can see our community growing. And so to me, getting them to buy in is key. Showing appreciation for the actual work and not just being the client that only talks to them when they mess up or or do something wrong. 
building the relationship and getting to know them on a personal level, connecting with them on fa- on on Facebook, which also kind of gives you a glimpse into their life and and you can kind of make other decisions based off that, but connecting with them there, getting them to understand you as a person, what you like, what you don't like. Um, same thing, what kind of movies they like and, and actually building a relationship with them. I'm the godfather of one of my VA's kids. You don't have to go that far. But yeah, and then lastly, that that family environment. I mean, the Filipino culture is all about family. They they tend to live with big families, but they also have a family with church and other outside events. And creating a family inside your business where the VAs like each other. If you're doing all those things, you should be able to tell whether they're motivated or not, whether they're crushing it for you on a day to day basis. You also have to set up metrics and and goals, or whether it's due dates, whether it's hey, I expect you to get x amount of leads per hour, and you tweak that over time depending on on their role. But I would agree if you're just another client that they that you hired them on Upwork and you're paying them as cheap as possible, and you're not letting them know why they're doing the task, and you're just giving them a new task and getting it back and giving them a new task, and they're not interacting with anyone on the team and they don't know anything about you or why you're running your business, that, that's definitely going to be a risk. But you want to kind of change that mentality uh, uh, to, to really focus on that long-term vision. That's, that's really interesting. It's, it's funny because hearing you talk about that like adds a lot of clarity. <laughs> um, so when you hear a lot of people who struggle with, they, they hired the first VA and then it, it, just, it doesn't work out, right? It, it's always for like a small handful of reasons that I find. It's like, like you were mentioning, right? Like you just give them a task, get it back and you rinse and repeat. Well, which, I mean, that's basically dehumanizing, right? Like there's, there's no relationship. There's no reason. And you know, the whole, the, the dreaded, my VA just disappeared and ghosted me situation. I feel like can be easily avoided by building that relationship and right. Getting them to understand and appreciate the work they're doing, how it's important. Like, like you guys were saying, you're doing, you know, bi-weekly, uh, bi-weekly, uh, cultural kind of, uh, meetings. Um, but also I feel like where a lot of people, cause I've, I've had it go well and I've had it go not well, but there's like a clear difference. I've, I've, I find if I look like retroactively back at those relationships and, and those, uh, agreements. And when I approach it as I just need somebody to do this task, great, get it done by it never played out. But when, when we approach it, both of us, me and the, the VA, when we both approached what we were doing with a common understanding of why it was important, what they wanted out of it, um, it worked out really well. And I think where a lot of people struggle, and I'm curious, Nathan, to get your opinion on this is I feel like a lot of people struggle, not because the VA side of the equation, but like your side of the equation, right? It's like your expectations are wrong. You didn't structure things correctly because, and you mentioned this a second ago too, is like, regardless of if you're hiring an internal person or an external person, it should relatively speaking, be the same thing. So like right now, we're day two on a new hire for Aura doing, you know, customer support. It's an internal person. Um, he's in Boston. Like, he's awesome. And, you know, I, I'm finding, and I was thinking about this today, too, before our, our conversation now, is, like, I'm approaching that training completely different than the way I would have approached it with a VA. And that's that's a failure on my part, not the VAs. Yeah. And, and so my goal of every VA, whether they're working for me one hour a month, five hours a week, full time, I want to be their favorite client. And that's kind of my mentality. And, and I'm always trying to do a check and I'll even have conversations and I'll, and I want to know up front, like what are their clients you have? What are their hours? But I want to be whatever it is. It doesn't have to be paying them the most money. A lot of people think that paying them the most money makes them the favorite client. It's actually not. Um, but whether it's just the funny conversations, like I like to send emojis and make jokes with virtual assistants and, um, like a stupid, silly example of this is I have a VA who uses a, a like a Facebook name that's her husband. And so she, it's a female, but I'll 
always just say like, hey, Blake, because that's her Facebook name and just like mess with her a little bit. Just like it's fun. It takes two seconds. And I'm sure her other clients like aren't building that kind of like repertoire with them. So I, I think the small things matter. I think having structures in place where there's no guesswork. I mentioned having a bonus and raise program where you establish up front, like, hey, you're going to get a raises for this amount. But if we crush it, like right now we're an outsource school, we're in uncharted territory, right? We're growing a business. We got COVID. We don't know how fast or how slow we're going to grow. And we just had an awesome Mother's Day promotion. So we're having a conversation after this of how we reward the VAs. And it doesn't have to be anything crazy. We're still relatively early on, but those are the kinds of conversations like, how do I continue to be this person's favorite client? And I've hired, I don't even know how many VAs, and I can't even remember the last time a VA just disappeared on me because I almost put them in a situation where that would be the stupidest thing in the world for them to just disappear on me and blow this great opportunity that has potential where they're treated well, everyone on the team likes them, they never get yelled at, um, they never get abused, like why would they just disappear? Now, I've had VAs like quit on me or whatever, personal reasons and all that, like that happens, although our turnover is less than 3%, but if you're having a VA just consistently disappear on you over and over, chances are it's something on your end that needs to be tweaked. Yeah, that, that's a you problem at that point, right? <laughs> and I feel like so many people view it like as a commodity, right? It's like, well, how do I get a $2 an hour VA? Like that's the wrong way to approach a human. <laughs> like you're, you're, you're getting another human being to buy in to helping you achieve your goal. You know, arguing over dollars is not how you would do that in my opinion, right? And, and I think that's a very flawed perspective to view that entire relationship. I, I would agree with you. I mean, I'm a big proponent of paying VAs well. We had team leaders at FreeUp that we paid 20 bucks plus an hour. We took $500,000 from our sale, gave it to our internal team in the Philippines just to thank them for, I mean, we couldn't have done it without them. At the same time, there are roles, there are business owners that can't afford higher level VAs and we get that, but there's a better way to approach it. So for me, like I have a lead generation task and we actually are teaching a course on it, the lead generation formula. It's a very repetitive task. It takes very little time to onboard someone. If someone quits, it's not the end of the world. I can onboard someone like very quickly. I don't want them to quit, but it's not that big of a deal. And I'm not going to overpay for that task. I'm not going to pay 10 bucks an hour for that task, no matter how good they are. But I spend extra time up front saying, hey, this is a $4 an hour, $2 an hour, whatever task it is. This is what this task is. Like, while there isn't that much upside, what there is, is there stability. You're going to get X amount of hours going forward. I want this to be a long-term role, but I only want you to take this job if you're 100% happy with the rate. I don't want you to come to me in two months and say that, hey, I, I got another client for five bucks an hour or whatever. And there's other benefits too. It's a flexible schedule job. So if you do get another client that's high paying, you just don't have to, just don't drop me, just change the hours that you work. So we have that, spend that extra time establishing up front and make sure that it's still a win-win because everyone cares about something different. Some VAs, they, they want that full-time job. They want additional responsibilities. They want that title. They want more money. Other people just care about stability and providing for their family or getting flexibility to drop their kids off from school. So identifying what the VA wants, making it clear what you can offer and making sure that that's aligned up front is going to save you a lot of those hassles if you can't pay top dollar rates. Because there's always going to be a client out there that can pay more money than you. Like that doesn't change whether you're hiring in the U.S. or, or VAs in the Philippines. But you have to do is make sure you're on the same page up front and that you're doing the little things, whether it's a flexibility, whether it's stability, whether it's the, the self-improvement, the extra training that's going to benefit them. They figure out the stuff around the pay that can make it a win-win for both parties. Yeah, that makes sense. So in addition to my 
I'll admit, obviously, unfounded trust issues. Uh, you've, you've, well, I'll just say you've sold me on the idea just, just based on what you've explained so far. That's what the, I wanted. Perfect. I love being the guinea pig <laughs> live. Uh, the, the other thing that came up when Dylan and I were talking uh, before you jumped in was I didn't find anything I was comfortable offloading to a VA. And it's not necessarily because there was nothing to offload. I just, I couldn't reconcile in my head, this is something that a VA can do. How, how do I overcome that? You know, how do I decide, how do I look at my business, see all the things that I have to do? How do I decide what, what I can offload to my, my VA or team of VAs, you know, what have you? Yeah. I mean, what I would do is create a list of everything you do on a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month basis and prioritize that from easiest to hardest and shift your focus from, I need to hire a VA to, I need to figure out a way to get five hours a week back or one hour a week back, whatever that number is. And at the top of the list should be the easier stuff. I'm kind of at a point in my life where I move stuff to the top of the list that I just hate doing because I just want to get those off my plate as, as much as, as quick as possible. But if you've never hired a VA before, I don't recommend starting there because um, what a lot of people would do is like, oh, I hate sales. So I'm going to hire a VA to do that right away when that's clearly not the first thing that, that you should outsource. So buy those easy things at the top of the list for most businesses are going to be a lot of things that are low risk, high reward. Like you hire a VA, they mess up to the extreme. Let's say they do that with my lead generation formula. Like worst case scenario, they get me some bad leads and I'm going to recognize them. I'm not going to email those leads and it's chill. So for me, that's what you, you want to get off your plate first. And as you build trust, you can give them more and more and more tasks. Um, you can also set in checkpoints. So let's say that you hire someone for customer emails, which I would argue is a little bit higher risk, right? But you set in a check-in point where, hey, I want you to wake up every morning, write a draft for every single email that's in there, and let me review every single draft. And I'm the one that clicks the send button. So you can put those things in place, especially if you're early on. But there's got to be things at the top of the list that you can hire a VA for five hours a week that even if they mess up, it doesn't hurt you. And that's going to do a bunch of things. First of all, it's going to get you started in shifting your hours from stuff that's repetitive to stuff that's actually expanding your business. Second, you're going to get better at training VAs, building SOPs, talking to VAs, and kind of get your feet wet a little bit. And then you're going to build that trust, which seems to be the the overlying issue here, um, and, and be able to give people more and more. Because just like every time you make a bad hire, you're like, oh my God, I never want to do this again. This is a waste of time. It, it kind of makes you not want to do it. Every time you make a good hire and you're like, man, I don't have to do this task anymore. I'm waking up every day to a list of podcasts, a list of leads, a list of whatever on my desk every morning, and I just don't have to spend that hour. That's going to become addicting, and that's going to make you want to do more and more and outsource more and more. And everyone has this list, and some people get farther down the list before they're like, oh, I'm not comfortable. I I want to take a pause and do this myself and fine-tune the process a little more. And other times, and I've seen this over and over people get addicted and they start pushing down that list and they see how far they can push it. How do I approach the, the next thought exercise of, should I put all of this effort into one VA dump everything on one individual, or should I find myself a small army? How do I, how do I differentiate that? Yeah, I would never just hire one VA and teach them to do everything. I kind of learned that lesson a hard way. Although it wasn't with a VA, I I hired this uh, guy for my Amazon business. This was before I realized that college kids were, were not very reliable. And I taught him, uh, no offense, I know you guys are, are still... Uh, hey, and- I just graduated last week, there so no offense taken. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's automatically reliable now. Yeah. 
<laughs> so I hired this I guy it. and I spent six months training him and I got the business to a good point and I went on vacation and he quit on me. And so that was just six months of training down the drain. But I learned a very valuable lesson as a young entrepreneur to not do that and to diversify. And I think a lot of people fall into that habit because they hiring's hard. You make some bad hires. You finally find someone you like, and then you just load that person up with everything. And you don't realize how risky that really makes your business. So for me, there's a certain element of common sense, right? Like if you're getting 10 emails a day, you're not going to hire five customer service reps. That doesn't make any sense. But if you're getting, if you're going to hire a 40 hour a week customer service rep, I would argue you should hire two 20 hour a week customer service reps. No one works 365 days a year. They can cover for each other. You don't get dragged into customer service and, and all that. So I like to divide up tasks as much as possible. And then as you build trust, increase hours. The only thing to keep in mind there is if possible, the default should always be hiring VAs full time if your business can afford it. Because the, what's terrible is if you hire a VA for 10 hours a week, you love them, you go to increase their hours and they're booked with other clients and, and you can't do that. So it's a lot easier to hire a bunch of people at 40 hours a week and be like, hey, this person isn't good or whatever. But obviously every business is a different spot. So if you have to, hiring part-time is okay and continue to, to diversify. But if you're just not hiring full-time, not because you can't afford it, not because you don't need it, but just because you're trying to test people out, start off with full-time right from the beginning and hire two, three, four, five, whatever full-time people. Yeah. I like, I like that a lot. I, there's, there's one thing that I've always struggled with and I've, I've yet to find like a good answer. Um, this has been my big sticking point. So building the SOPs is totally fine. Um, I build SOPs for myself cause I'm a psychopath. Um, but <laughs> like keeping a pulse on everything, right? Like I can, I can do that with like one, two people, but growing that team out, um, especially when they're not in the room is hard for me to find, and I think it's, it's mainly lack of experience on my part, to be frank, but like, how do you keep a pulse on things are getting done? No balls are being dropped, right? I mean, do you, do you guys have like a, like a dashboard you follow where you're like, great, I, I can see the task got done, you know, yesterday or, or what have you. What does that typically look like for you guys? Yeah, I think we were kind of talking before this about how we always because a marketplace model is like a little bit weird. So it's like tough to measure things like like churn and stuff like that. Um, so I think the the new owners actually did a much better job of, of implementing a lot of this stuff. And they put in a lot of those checkpoints. For us, it comes down to, to weekly meetings. I mean, we met we meet with the entire team every Monday and each team has a meeting throughout the week and we get updated by that from the team leaders. And you mentioned SOPs. We had 35 VAs and we had five or six teams. We didn't want to keep every SOP updated. So we put the team leaders in charge of keeping the SOPs updated over time. So then the question is, how do you find out who the team leader is? And the common, is, the common mistake that I see people make is they wake up one day and they're like, oh my God, I've got 10 VAs and now I'm managing 10 people and I need a team leader. Who do I make a team leader? When the real answer, and we teach a lot of this in Cracking the VA Code, is you want to start doing this up front. You want to give people ownership of the tasks early on. So you hire them, you give them a little trial, they they prove themselves, you build that relationship, give them ownership of updating the SOP over time, give them ownership of that task and a little backing off a little bit because you're going to really thank yourself later on because if you've given all these VAs ownerships of their specific tasks, not only does it make your life easier, but down the line, when you need a team leader, you're going to have a pretty good idea of who really owned up and, and crushed it, taking ownership of the tasks and who didn't. And it's going to make it 
very easy to have a team leader. And I mean, when you fall into a good team leader, that makes everything a lot easier. We have a, a or we had a good billing person, uh, Marius, on on FreeUp, and he's still the the billing team leader there. Um, he's actually the the FreeUp was nice enough to let us use him to film our bookkeeping course that we're coming out with on how to hire a bookkeeper. So we're stealing him for that. But once we Gave him some test tasks. He proved himself. We gave him ownership of the SOPs, ownership of billing. He crushed that, made him the team leader. He made our life exponentially easier going forward because he was on top of his team. And if anything went wrong with his team, he was the first person to jump in and say, hey, something's going on here. We need to make that move. So that's obviously a short version of what we teach in Outsource School, but you get the basic idea of how it goes from from taking something off your plate, testing, giving ownership, putting that team leader in place, and, and having the meetings going forward. So I imagine you've hired your fair share of VAs over over the years. Right? A handful. <laughs> yeah, just, just a few, right? So thinking about the entire process, right, from, from interviewing to giving them tasks and beyond, right? What were some of like the, the biggest mistakes that you found probably after the fact and going back, what would you have done differently? So almost every mistake, almost every issue that comes down to through hiring is because people skip the onboarding steps. So there's four parts. There's interviewing, onboarding, training, and managing. And I would say most entrepreneurs know that you need to interview someone before you hire them, right? And most entrepreneurs know you need to train someone that's a VA. And most entrepreneurs know that on some level you have to manage them. But most people skip that onboarding. And a perfect example of this is, let's say you interview three VAs. You want to hire Jane. You want to hire Jane at five bucks an hour. The average entrepreneur says, Jane, that was a great interview. You're hired at five bucks an hour. Let's jump into training. What I teach people to do and what we do all the time is we spend time on the onboarding. So I go to Jane and I say, hey, Jane, that was a great interview. I want to hire you for five bucks an hour. First, let's make sure you're actually good with five bucks an hour. Like we talked about before, having a conversation, who knows, maybe she got another job offer in the meantime, like stuff changes. Maybe once I dig a little bit deeper, I find out that her other clients are are paying more, but I want to make sure she's really good at five bucks an hour. Then I'm going to let her know what our raise program is, what our bonus program is. So there's no gray area. She knows what she's getting into. She knows she, if she wants to eventually make nine bucks an hour and I'm starting her at five and she only gets a 50 cent raise every year, that's going to be a pretty big, big red flag for her. So we get on the same page there. And then I take her through what I call my sick method, S-I-C-C, which is schedule issues, communication, and culture. And almost every issue that you're going to have on the back end comes down to a client didn't spend the time to talk about schedule issues, communication, and culture. And this is a 20 to 30 minute meeting. It's not a four hour meeting. And it's the best 30 minute investment you can make into any hire. For schedule, you, you go over, hey, this is a schedule for me. What other clients do you have? What are their schedules? How many hours a week are you working? Make sure that there's no overlap. Make sure that there's no outside commitments. Make sure they're not working 100 hours a week. And with you, they're going to be working 140. So you get on the same page there. With issues, there's five types of issues. Internet, power, personal, weather, and computer. And you go through each one of them. Do you have a new computer? Do you have a backup computer? How often do you lose internet? Do you have a backup internet source? Do you have a friend's house you can go to if you lose power? And you make sure that you understand the frequency of the issues and what the backup plan is for each issue. And you set the expectation of communication. So down the line, if they said, hey, 
don't worry, if I lose power, I have a backup generator and they lose power in week two and they don't have a backup generator, you quickly go back and you're like, hey, we talked about that. Here's a screenshot of you telling me that you had a backup generator. You disappeared for 12 hours. We got to talk about this again. So then you got communication, which is going over what channels you use. And especially if you're going to use any crazy tools like Time Doctor and all that, you want to establish that up front. Um, some people hate using Skype and they don't want to work with clients that use Skype. Some people don't want to use Time Doctor. I mean, I've seen clients who spent time to interview and train a VA. And then at the end, we're like, oh, by the way, I need you to use Time Doctor. And the VA is like, you never mentioned this at all. I wouldn't have taken the job if I had known this up front. So get on the same page there. And then lastly is your culture, whatever that is. Um, we like ideas, we like feedback, we like productivity, we like working as a team and, and all that. So going through that, and then at the end, I give them a chance to back out, a nice, friendly, honest chance to back out because I would much rather they back out if we're not in line with anything, if they don't agree with anything I said or how we do things and, and all of that. So spend that extra time getting on the same page. And if you're having issues with VAs and it's the same issues, spend extra time on that in the onboarding process to prevent that issue from happening again. So I'm, I'm hearing all of the intricate details you're going into, which are all, all perfect things that I, you know, I never would have personally considered. The thing that keeps coming back in my mind is this sounds a lot like just hiring regular staff. Why, why, sh- why not just do that? What, what, what is special about virtual assistants, VAs, over uh, regular, regular business, regular company staff? Yeah. So, I mean, think of it in three levels of hire, just so hiring, just so we're on the same page. You got followers, you got doers, you got experts. So followers, five to 10 bucks an hour, non-US, they're there to follow your systems, your processes. If you don't have those, you can't hire uh, the followers. When I'm talking about VAs, I'm just talking about the followers. A lot of people, when they say VA, they're just talking about anyone that works remote. For clarification, just the followers. Doers are more like graphic designers, writers, video editors, the specialists. You're not teaching them how to be a graphic designer. They're not consulting with you. And the experts could be high-level freelancers, consultants, coaches, agencies, be 100 bucks an hour, 5,000 bucks an hour, whatever. So we're just talking about the VAs. We're just talking about the followers. Here's what happens when you hire a U.S. follower. You hire a U.S. follower. Let's just take customer service, for example. You're trying to take customer service off your plate. You hire a, a U.S. customer service bo- person for 15 bucks an hour. Somewhat expensive for a business owner, depending on your business, maybe not. But how long is that customer service person in the U.S. really going to be happy at 15 bucks an hour? Eventually, they're going to be trained. They're going to want 18 bucks an hour. They're going to want 20 bucks an hour. And then at some point, you run into that tough decision. Do I overpay drastically for a customer service person or do I start all over and have to train from scratch? Take hiring from the Philippines, for example, and you you start someone at five bucks an hour. They're a rock star. They knock it out of the park. They know customer service. Increase them to ten bucks an hour, nine bucks an hour, twelve bucks an hour, whatever you want. They're going to be with you for life. They're going to love that, and so you have a lot more long term potential there. So. Price is definitely a factor. That doesn't mean you can't hire people in the U.S. for the doer and for the expert roles, but I'm really against hiring people in the U.S. for those follower roles because it just doesn't make logical sense long-term, and those followers are going to increase their skills. They're going to become more expensive most of the time. Um, Other stuff to just keep in mind is creating remote cultures and creating that family environment, reducing turnover over over time, uh, oh, and, and even like repetitive tasks. Like you give someone in the U.S. a data entry task, are they going to do that data entry task for the next 20 years? 
maybe depending on the person, but my bet would say no. So it's just kind of different when you're dealing with those follower tasks. And that's why I prefer to hire from the Philippines from there. So the, the customer service example is actually a really timely one. Dylan, I believe you just hired a customer service individual in the United States. Yeah. United States. Yeah. So I'm curious your counterpoint there. No, no, it's oddly enough in alignment, but it's different. And so, because I was just thinking about the two, it was like, you know, a lot of people would naturally listen to the previous episode and be like, okay, it's binary, right? It's the two, two polarities, but it's really not. Because what Nathan was just saying about the follower, the doer, the expert, you know, I've heard him mention that before. And so in onboarding, so we're day two of onboarding with, with our new customer support rep. He, the expectation on his end and our end, because I wanted to make sure we have alignment there, is this is a, this is a stepping off point. This is a, a point for you to start to grow with us. Like this is what we need now to really grow this company. He just wants to be a part of the company, right? And so we're not hiring him for this role. That's what he's starting with and that's what he's doing. But also I have it structured a certain way, right? Like I have saved responses. We have SOPs and stuff like that. But I made it very clear early on, you own this role. You're a doer, right? In that regard. Um, I don't want you to to just show up and then like go through the motions. Like don't be a clock pusher. And he even mentioned that. He's like, I don't want to be a clock pusher. I'm like, good. I don't want you to be that either, right? What I want you to do is, instead is, is be able to take over this role as your responsibility. Make the SOPs better. Find new ideas to make you know customer support better. Um, and so this is a marriage where he wanted to be a part of the company. And this is what we need now. And so the expectation is, hey, you're going to grow. But also we, ha- we had a conversation yesterday and, you know, we, we, had a, we had alignment where I'm like, I want you to become an expert at customer support for SaaS companies in the next two to three months. Because I, I know he's capable of doing that and we have the resources to get in there. So one, he's going to grow from a doer to an expert, ideally, you know, relatively fast. And that's what we're aiming for. So I think that's that's very important, right? Like the expectations, because you it, it would be very easy and vanilla to be like, all right, you just hired a customer support person. But without all the context, it's like, is that going in opposite of what Nathan's saying. Not really, right? With with the concept, or excuse me, with the context, it's actually not. Um, you know, I'm, I'm in this weird dichotomy too, to, you know, piggyback and, and to kind of play off that is like, you know, when when does it make sense to have an internal team versus an external team? The Finn, so, so that's his name, the guy we hired. Finn is not somebody who, if we didn't need customer support, if we didn't need him to do that anymore, he wouldn't work for us. He would do something else. And that's what, that's what to me from an internal, like we're hiring an internal team member. Um, to me, that's super important. Right. And I, I think, I don't know. I feel like you can marry those, <laughs> both of those somehow, Nathan, I'm curious to, to get your opinion on it too. Cause a lot of people do think it's binary. And I think in some of my comments, it comes across as binary, but it's not because I've had VAs. Like I, I believe in the VA model, but like, it depends on the critical nature of the task itself, which is kind of what we talked about before, right? Like if, if customer support is your thing as a brand, as a company, I would rather have, and I think this is important too, because Nathan, you also mentioned this. There's a clear definition between VA and, and full-time employee. Now I'm not saying I would never hire a full-time employee who lives in the Philippines to do our customer support. I'm saying I don't want a VA based off Nathan's definition, which is a, a, a follower, I really wouldn't want to do that personally. I would rather have somebody who's, who's, you know, in it, you know, full time, like live, eat and breathe it. Like that's what we need. And, and to be frank, we're a SaaS company, right? So like 
our level of support is technical. You have to be able to jump into a repricing strategy and like determine and deduce what's happening and solve it quickly. It's not just like Q&A, right? So it is different. And I think it, it does, you know, that difference does kind of matter. But um, but I would have no problem hiring a full-time person who's not US-based. Now, Finn's awesome and he landed in our lap. So I'm like, I will find you a role. <laughs> so like, you know, that's a good opportunity where I'm like, hey, you're an A player. I'm going to, I'm going to make this work as long as we have an alignment of like what, what you're going to get started with and like, where do you see yourself in the next like two to five years? And like, can we support that? If yes, then we're, we're in alignment and we're, we're on board and green light. Yeah. So first of all, there's exceptions to every rule. I mean, these right. are, these are real people, real human beings. I personally, my logical brain, I'm more talking in percentages than, than anything else. And I try to play the percentages, um, customer service. I mean, I had an Amazon business where we had a U.S. customer service person who was the manager managing Filipinas person, um, people in the Philippines. I also have had like Layden, Jane, my customer service team at FreeUp. I would put those two against any U.S. customer service person out there. They're total rock stars. And whether they're a follower or an expert or whatever, that's it's all subjective, right? My bigger, they're just awesome. <laughs> just yeah, my bigger, just like overall advice is okay. Whenever people, whenever small businesses, I should say, because bigger companies can afford to do this. Whenever small businesses start investing and taking someone who doesn't know something and turning them into an expert in something, you have to make sure that you're really good with that investment, that you can actually oh, yeah. handle that because that person's going to want more money. They're going to have other opportunities coming in. And that's also just time, not necessarily money because you can always make money back, but that's time that you, you're not going to get back. So if you train Finn and let's just use someone else because I don't know Finn. He seems like a great guy. Let's say you train Bob and you invest a ton of money into Bob, a ton of time into Bob. And by year four, Bob is a rock star and he leaves my counter argument to that is, man, you should have hired some people in the Philippines and gotten some SOPs and and increased their pay and kept them because that's four years like you're you're not getting back. So you just have to think a little bit more long term and make sure you're continuing to to talk to him and that he's going to be really happy with that. And it's one of the reasons that I don't love the idea of just like investing in U.S. people that to train them from scratch because the the downside almost like outweighs the upside. If that, in my personal opinion. No, that, that, I think that's a good point. And it, it's just, it's so funny because I feel like nobody talks about this. I feel like a lot of people think it's purely binary, right? You're either like all VAs period or like no VAs and like you're violently against it. It's like, no, like it's strategy, right? Like it's, it's you, you know, what screamed to me earlier when you're like, I would rather have two VAs at 20 hours versus one for 40. That's portfolio theory, right? Like you're, you're negating your risk, so to speak. Um, and I think you can do that strategically, right? Like you mentioned, you had somebody US based here, but you also have a ton of VAs. And so I think, I think there's a, a, a framework for determining like when it makes sense to have an internal person that's US based in office. Like, you know, yeah, right now we're a remote company. We're moving to Boston to co-locate because that's what we want to do. Like we're really trying to like hyper growth, you know, the SaaS company and like engineers in the same room is better than, you know, engineers not in the same room. Um, at least that's the, that's our assumption. But like, you know, I, it just depends. There's so much gray area that like, it really truly depends. And, and I don't know how to clear, clearly say like, this is the algorithm, so to speak of like when it makes sense and when it doesn't. But, but I think it's worth a question, you know what I mean? Cause it's, and I'm glad you brought up, you know, it's different for large companies versus small, small companies. Like, you know, my Amazon business was a small company. So like an internal person, yeah, out of the question, can't afford it. Not going to happen. <laughs> like, um, VAs all day long, but you know, with, with the software company, things are different. And so, 
because we do have the opportunity, it's funny because I'm not viewing it as VA or non-VA. I'm looking at like, who are the humans that we have access to that just are driven to be a part of what we're doing and solve the problems we're trying to solve and like want to be a part of us as a team. If they're VA, if, if they live in the Philippines, that's awesome. If they live in Boston, that's awesome too, right? It's just the same. It's more, it's more, you know, who, who is the human? <laughs> like, I feel like we, we dehumanize the, the entire conversation because we use terms like VA, right? Which is, which is normal and it's understandable because it gives the context, but but if we can backtrack a little bit, it's really like, how do you find amazing humans that can be a part of your team? Right. But you have to also assume that anyone can quit at any given time. And for me, it's oh, like, yeah. I know I'm going to treat people well. I know like from the human side, they're going to get treated well. Like that's a given. I, I, I'm going to make that part work. But from a logical side, a lot of it comes down to, to leverage. Like what's stopping Bob, who you invest four years into and coming to you and say, hey, man, you just made a huge investment to me. I want X amount of money or I have X amount of offer. And and by hiring people, by creating the win-wins up front, which I try to do with the VAs where, hey, your pay goes up as the business revenue goes up, which is what we set with, set up with FreeUp. And hey, you have bonus systems in place. I almost make it like it would take an extraordinary situation of a client just like blowing them out of the water or just like a terrible life thing in their life, which I hope doesn't happen or just like a terrible decision-making on their part for a rock star to leave my team. Because that's really what it comes down to. You you want to hire people. Everyone you hire is going to be an A player, a B player, a C player, a D player. And you want to figure out how do I not lose any A players? Because losing the A players kills your businesses. So how do I set it up where it would be stupid for the A player to leave me? And for a lot of small businesses, doing that with people in the U.S. is tough. Not impossible, just a little bit harder. I agree. I mean, listen, we've been trying to hire um, back-end engineers, and our budget's fantastic, in my opinion. Jay, um, Jonathan, you, you might agree or, or disagree, because <laughs> you're actually an engineer. But you know, I think our, our, our budget's fantastic, but it is hard. It is so difficult because the competitive landscape is, is completely different. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, listen, we're going through that even on a more technical role, right? Like back-end engineering, doing like architecture stuff like that is that is a very complex technical task. Um, and to find great people in the U S is difficult. I can say that first and foremost. I mean, um, so yeah, I, you know, it's, it's funny. It, it makes a lot of sense to me. And I, I've, I feel like I need to reassess the VA code, so to speak, cause I'm, I'm going through outsource school. Like I, I'm going through it now. Um, I had to get through my last week of, you know, final papers. So, you know, I had to take a pause on that for a second <laughs> so I could actually pass. Um, but I'm going through it. And what I've gone through so far is like, you, you guys have, have added a lot of clarity, I think, in like how to approach it. And I've hired, I would say like five to six VAs, but I've never had somebody, you know, I've never been able to have enough tasks to keep somebody on for like a year plus. So like, so, so like that level is, is out of my wheelhouse, so to speak. Right. I don't have the experience with that. And I think it's in the way I, in the way I approach what tasks to give the onboarding, like we talked, like, like we talked about here. Um, and clearly it was a me problem. That's, that's, what's great. It's like, once you realize it's a you problem, you can fix it. <laughs> so like when you guys are, when you guys initially launch and dude, you, you guys picked like the greatest, worst time to launch outsource school. <laughs> it was like, you guys launch and then it was like COVID-19 hits. You're like, Oh God. Um, so that's, that's rough, but you guys have been doing good. It seems like, which is awesome. Like you guys are still pushing really hard. Um, but you know, going through, I, I would say I've gone through the first like 30% of it. I mean, it's been really interesting the way you guys approach it. It's vastly different than the way I've seen people approach it. It's very systemic. Um, 
and you can tell you're baking in a lot of your experiences, especially the negative ones into like how you approach it moving forward. You're like, yeah, let's never deal with that again. Awesome. <laughs> like, here's how we approach it now. Um, and that's cool. Like even the sick method, I remember kind of, you know, quickly reviewing that. I was like, yeah, it, it, I never thought to ask them or even like the, the five issues, right. The five issues you, you brought up is like, I never thought about asking, um, you know, do you have a backup computer? Do you have a generator? I remember I had a VA, they had a super bad, um, storm come through and she was out for a whole week and couldn't communicate with me. Couldn't tell me. I didn't even think to ask her if that was going to be a problem. And so for a whole week she was out. I thought she just ghosted me and came back the following Monday. I was like, Hey, sorry, storm. We're back to work. I'm like, Oh, I thought you left me my bad. <laughs> right. And, uh, that's clearly like me not having the correct, um, process in place to, to, to set myself and the VA up for success. Yeah. I mean, off of that, like everyone talks about the disappearing VA that just like comes back in a week. Like we, we tell the VA up front, like, Hey, if you disappear for three days and you don't communicate with us, like there's no job, you're not coming back to a job. Like there's nothing there. Like you should have the emergency contact information of me, of other people on the team. If you lose power, like we're reasonable. We're not like, we understand, like you live in a third world country. We're all on the same team here. But if you just disappear for days, like you better be doing everything possible to send us an email, send us a message, do whatever. Because if you just disappear and come back, like there's nothing. And the VA that's thinking, man, I want to find a really good client. Once I tell them that, if in their mind, they're like, oh man, I lose power a lot. Like I I don't have a way of doing this. This isn't going to work for me they're probably going to turn down the job because it's just not worth it for them. They'll go get get some other client who maybe has never hired a VA before and we'll put up with that. So setting that expectation up front for stuff like that is important. Yeah, that's good. That's awesome. We, you know, I wanted to kind of jump into the, to the exit that you guys went through with free up, but I know we're kind of running out of time. So, so we'll have to bring you back on at some point and kind of deep dive on, on exits. Cause that's something that really does not get talked about enough in my opinion in our space. And I think it should, because it's a huge opportunity, both on the acquisition and the selling side. Um, so, you know, if you're open to it, we'll definitely have you back and, and talk on the, uh, the, the strategy there. You mentioned the Philippines a lot. What is what is special? Is there something special about the Philippines that, that you found compared to other areas? Like why? You mentioned the Philippines several times. Like there there has to be something significant there in your mind. Yeah, and like I have a graphic designer who's from India. She's fantastic. Our developers that worked on on Free Up, we had one U.S. person and two people in India. They were fantastic too. So um, again, this is more personal preference. But they, I mean, price is definitely a factor. Like the minimum wage in the Philippines is twelve bucks a day, so it's not that hard to beat that. And when you pay someone more, they they appreciate it. Um, they learn English at a very young age. They learn it in school, which is very important for people like me who don't speak other other languages besides English. Um, they consume a lot of the same culture and media, whether it's video games, computers, products, which if you're running a, bit, a U.S. business or sell U.S. products, that's definitely a factor. Um, they also just have a, a strong work ethic. And again, I'm talking, you can't put everyone in a category, but this is my experience. And they care a lot about family. And I mentioned family in the BARF method, but family is such a good thing to have as the value for people that, that work for you. I mean, you want to find people that don't value money on the highest possible level. They have to value other things and there's nothing better for them to value than family because then the work becomes on you. How do I create an awesome family? And if you do that, you'll know that they'll be happy. So I, I can keep going, but those are some main reasons. So you don't speak Tagalog? No, I'm learning Vietnamese actually. <laughs> Are you really? Oh gosh, yeah. that's 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 daunting right there. <laughs> that's so weird. I know we're we're running out of time. So I wanted to give you uh, a couple minutes here at the end, Nathan, to kind of just you know dump anything else out that's on your mind that you wanted to bring up. You know, tell people where you can find where they can find you, find all the things you're working on, whatever. This is open mic minute. 
Yeah, I mean, we're really excited about Outsource School. I think when, when we sold free up, people started reaching out and saying, hey, can you teach us your exact systems and processes? So we created this course called Cracking the VA Code, and it goes through our exact methods for interviewing, onboarding, training, and managing. And we kind of took it to market. And like any business, you don't never know if people are going to like it or hate it. And we were fortunate that, that people liked it and they wanted more. So we started launching mini courses all around day-to-day operations and also marketing efforts, how to hire VAs for bookkeeping, for for for, uh, backlinks, for lead generation, for podcasts. And, and so what we ended up doing is rolling it up into a membership. So if you buy Cracking the VA Code, you get a one-year membership to Outsource School. You get all our courses for the next year. You get access to all of them. You get our support for a year if you run into issues with VAs, if you need help with your systems, your processes around VAs, and you get access to our awesome community that we're building out. Um, and we have a software component that'll be coming in uh, down the line. So we're super excited about that. I'm one of the easiest entrepreneurs to, to contact online, uh, Nathan Hirsch on Facebook or LinkedIn, Real Nate Hirsch, Instagram or Twitter. Feel free to connect with me there and would love to have you join our growing community. Perfect. And all of those links will be in the show notes in case you're not taking notes quickly enough. I know I'm not as I furiously keep typing here. I love it. <laughs> all right, Nathan. Nathan, man, we, we really appreciate you coming on. It's always a, a pleasure to talk with you, um, you know, both on the marketplace, but, but certainly on the VA side of things, because you, you definitely know what the heck you're doing. And uh, it, it's good to be like, all right, I, I need to dive deeper and and see that, see where the value is, right? And and, and make sure that I, I can actually take what we're talking about here and, and take that a, a step further. And uh, this has definitely added a lot of clarity for me personally. So I appreciate that. Yeah, no problem. We'll, ha- we'll have to do it again. And uh, I appreciate you joining Outsource School and looking forward yeah, to man. crushing the rest of 2020 with you guys. I love it, man. Thank you. See you guys.